Hi, everyone. My name is Miranda. And I'm Adrian. And welcome back to our The Conflicting Podcast. Yes. This week, it's uh, all about Miranda and how um, she was brought up and how she came to be the Miranda she is today. So I'm excited to have you all listen to it. Yeah, this, just so you all know, this podcast, we actually recorded it a little different. So it's just going to be me just talking about my story. And then at the very end, me and Adrian will discuss some things that maybe she heard or wanted to point out in my story. So I hope you all enjoy it. And here's my story. All right, so about me so as i mentioned before i was born and raised as joe's witness so my childhood was pretty different from most people but it was also different from other joe's witnesses um i've talked to a few ex-joe's witnesses and i've come to the realization that the congregation or what they call church um in Florida that I went to was actually pretty relaxed than some other ones around the world. They're a little bit more strict in other areas. So I had that going for me. On top of that, my parents were divorced um, and my dad was not a witness anymore. So I also kind of got to experience a little bit of normal activities Um For example, when it came to like holidays like um, Thanksgiving or Christmas, we would celebrate Thanksgiving like a day early or a day late. So we couldn't really call it Thanksgiving, but you know, my dad and my stepmom would go all out with food or we'd go over to family's house. Um, As far as Christmas would go, if my dad had me, you know, I would get gifts like the day after Christmas. So they're not really Christmas gifts because... I didn't get them on Christmas. That was kind of like the loophole that he did to appease my mom of not celebrating holidays and everything like that. But growing up with my mom, you know, at first, um, when she was single with me, my grandparents like always watched me all the time uh, while she worked. Uh, it was kind of like a common thing in the congregations, um, in the area that like their other girls, we were all put into dance class. So when I was younger, I took jazz, tap and up ballet. And this is from like kindergarten to fourth grade, I think, um, was the last time I had a dance class. And I loved it. It was fun. Uh, my mom remarried, but that doesn't that didn't really change anything as far as me. I still never really fit in. So, luckily, my mom kind of realized that at the Kingdom Hall, aka church, that I didn't really have friends. Like, there were some girls there, but we just... I guess when I was younger, didn't get along for whatever reason. So luckily my mom actually let me hang out with one of my friends from school. 
and I would get to go over to her house, or she would get to come over to mine. She was even in one of my dance classes, and so we got to hang out. And that's actually a really big deal for Cho's witnesses, because of one of the scriptures in the Bible, it mentions bad association spoils useful habits. So basically, if you don't know anything about Cho's witnesses, they don't associate with people that are not Cho's witnesses. They get, they have gatherings with each other. I mean, yes, some of them, they obviously work with people that aren't witnesses, but they're advised to keep limited contact. You know, they don't just go out to dinner with their coworkers one night after work. That's not how they work. They try to keep it witnesses only. So it was actually a really big deal looking back now that my mom even let me hang out with a friend from school. As I got older, I was starting to make friends with the other girls in the congregations. And we would hang out from time to time and stuff, but I was always different. I liked black. I didn't like smiling. I liked rock music. And one of the biggest differences between me and them was... I was the only one not progressing in the religion. So Jehovah's Witnesses have this thing, um, especially if you're born in. You, at a young age, if you're born in, start making steps to getting baptized. And, you know, you can be a unbaptized publisher and you have to meet with the elders or the, you know, leaders of the church. And they ask you like a bunch of Bible questions and whatnot to be an unbaptized publisher. Um, everyone goes door to door Saturday morning, which I fucking hated. It was a nightmare every time. I That's probably why I don't like talking to people that I don't know or having to go door to door for like anything which thank god I don't have to do that so I'm kind of fine there but I could not stand it you don't know how much I craved as a child to just wake up and just get to watch Saturday morning cartoons and eat cereal and that's it but instead I had to put on a dress with some socks and shoes and go door to door with whoever adult I was with And starting from a young age as a child, just watch people slam doors in people's faces, be rude, threaten us. I remember some guy threatened to like shoot us and I was like seven or eight, I think. Like, yeah, that's pretty traumatizing. So I hated field service. But if you're also working to get baptized, you know, you have, you go out and feel service a lot more. Um, there's also the goal of what they call a pioneer, which is someone that does, I want to say it's like a minimum of 50 hours of preaching a week. I could be wrong. It could be a month, but I don't know because I didn't pay attention because I didn't care. So anyway, all of my friends and the religion, they were all advancing, making ways. Some of them were already baptized. And I'm talking people get baptized at like eight years old. 
and I wasn't, I was just me. I was influenced for a little bit and kind of like wanted to, but then again, I didn't really work too much because I didn't care. I didn't care about, and I'm sorry if this offends any people that are actually religious, but for me, I didn't care about reading the Bible. I didn't care about knowing where to look for a scripture if someone questions you while you're out going door to door. Like, that wasn't my thing. I was always, every time, we went to church three times a week. So it was Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Sundays. Sundays and Thursdays were one and a half to two hours. And then Tuesdays, which were, they called book study night, it was only an hour. Still the longest hour of my life. And then and then on top of that, on Saturdays, we would go preaching. And the schedule would always change. But that's how it was. And during church, I was always like drawing in my notebook. If I got in trouble for drawing, because as I got older, you know, my it got unacceptable that I was doodling. So then I would start doing random shit in the literature that they would give us. And I would like color in all the O's or all the B's or all the D's or I would draw a line to every word um, the and just like connect all the the's on the page or I would look up and just count the ceiling tiles over and over and over again weird shit like that to distract myself because I hated going to church so anyway like I said I had friends but you know they hung out with me a lot, but then the relationship kind of started to change because I was just so different. I remember this one time, and I think this is also what really changed my outlook um, with them for me was, you know, I kind of liked what we consider country music. Now it's more like pop country music. Um I liked Kenny Chesney. I liked Keith Urban. And and I really liked them. And my friends knew and everything. Well, all of them. Let's say there's about... Let's see. Ten girls, almost, that I would hang out with. Well, I ended up finding out that I wanted to go to this Kenny Chesney concert that came to town. I had mentioned it, but no one had like ever said anything when I hung out or anything. I later on found out that they all went to the concert together in a Hummer limo, which was also like my dream. It still is like my dream thing to ride in is a Hummer limo. And I found out later on that they all went to the concert together in a Hummer limo. And their excuse was when I like told them, like, I wish I was invited was we didn't think that you liked Kenny Chesney. And I was so pissed because it's like you one of them was with me when I bought the CD. And we would listen to that CD all the time when I came over. So that right there really upset me because I realized I really don't have like as good of friends as I thought I did. My friends at school were the better friends. You know, friends at school that they know I can't celebrate holidays and they would share their Halloween candy with me. And to me, that's like a big deal because I have a huge sweet tooth. 
I've always had a huge sweet tooth. And as a kid, and I'm talking like friends from like first grade throughout my whole, you know, school-aged days, I always had friends sharing their Halloween candy. And in first grade... I feel like that is such a big deal because I know me as a kid, but maybe because I didn't get it a lot, I didn't want to ever share my candy. So even realizing that people back then were nice enough to share their Halloween candy with me because I tell them, you know, we'd go to school and they'd all have it and they'd be like, well, where's yours? And I tell them, well, I'm not allowed to go trick or treating. So I didn't get Halloween candy. And so they would share it with me. So that was really nice. Um, as I became a teenager, I had this one friend, and we've kind of been best friends our whole childhood because our moms were pregnant at the same time together, but he was in a different congregation, so we didn't get to see each other too much. But when we did, um, we always hung out and got along just fine. But in middle school, it was around like halfway through my seventh grade year, um, this girl moved to our congregation and she was from Pennsylvania and her name was Brittany. And Brittany was, she became my best friend because she was just like me. She liked rock music. She wasn't interested in going to meetings. She actually hated it. And she'd rather do other shit that normal teenagers would do. And me and her got along great. So at least for a few years, I had a really good friend that I could relate to. Um, basically, when it was about junior year, like the end of junior year, I believe, I started living on my own. Because my mom and stepdad moved out of state. Um, and I asked them to stay behind. Because I was in a criminal justice academy in high school. And I really wanted to finish out at that high school. Because before, I had been to three different elementary schools. Two different middle schools. And it was like, I was in a magnet program that I really liked. And I was, you know, so close to graduating that I didn't want to leave. And so the contingency was... That I could stay behind if I got my driver's license, which I did. My dad um, let me take my driver's test up in Colorado when I went to visit him the one summer. I got my driver's license and if I would have a Bible study because my mom was getting worried because she noticed everyone I was growing up with was baptized or unbaptized publisher. Either way, they're making advances and there's just me. I just go to the meetings, I sit there, I talk to people at the end, and then I leave. Like, I don't care. I don't have a desire to do stuff. So, I said okay, and she set up a Bible study with a lady that, you know, I really liked, I grew up with. But, with me, since I had newfound freedom, because I went and lived with my grandfather for a little bit. And I was 17, so you can imagine how uh, a man in his 70s can really keep up with a 17-year-old, you know? He 
you would just go to the grocery store and hang out at home and watch TV or go antiquing. Meanwhile, I'm still in school. I also had to get a job at Steak and Shake. That was my first job and I loved it. And so I would go to school and work and come home. But my grandpa, I mean, he didn't really think, I guess, to wonder where I was or anything. So I would also make plans and go hang out with kids from school. And I would actually enjoy having, like, real friends. Where I'd be out late. Um, I'd say I was working late and I would just hang out after work in the parking lot. Or go to the movies with people. You know, I actually started enjoying life. And I would also kind of lie to get out my Bible studies. Because I would say, oh, I'm working. Or I don't feel good. Or I was actually working. Or I did actually have a school thing. But I tried to get out of Bible study as much as possible because I couldn't stand it. So it was basically like that. All the way through most of my junior year and then my senior year. Um, senior year, my friend Brittany, because she was... She was one of those people that I mentioned before. She got baptized super early. She got baptized, I want to say, when maybe she was 13. And there's the thing with getting baptized. Once you're baptized, if you basically commit a sin or anything bad, you know, these the elders, they pull you back. They ask you questions about it. And then from there, they decide if you're going to get what's called disfellowshipped. Or shunned, as other people know. And what that means is, if you're disfellowshipped, that chose witnesses can't talk to you. But you're still expected to go to church and sit there in silence. You would get there just like a few minutes late. And as soon as it's over, you leave right away. So there's no temptation to talk to you or anything. And if someone does approach you because they didn't know or something, you ignore them and you walk away. And... My friend Brittany, I mean, she was still living with her parents because she wasn't 18 yet. And she would go and then she would just quietly get up and go wait in the car until her parents were ready to leave. And they pretty much always left um, right away or she would drive separately from them so they could stay and associate and she would have to leave. So I was also hanging out with her behind everyone's back. I'd secretly meet up with her because that was my best friend. That was the person that understood me the most. There's no way that I'm just going to stop talking to her because some people say that I have to. So, you know, I did that. Senior year, it was pretty much the same stuff. But then I... We had the army recruiters, and they always came to our school. Well, this one recruiter, which ended up being my recruiter, he had been coming to my school for a few years. And so I went up to him one day, and I was like, uh, I think I want to join. And he kind of, like, laughed. And he was like, if you're serious about joining, then come to the recruiting station after school. And I said, okay. I walked in the recruiting station, and he was, like, so shocked that I came in because realistically and he, he always told me that he told people this I was the most difficult recruit he had because he tried to recruit me for a few years and I was like never interested I would just go and talk to all of them at the table 
and get some of the cool little things that they brought or just I would read the information but I mean I never thought about the army or anything I had my heart set on going to school to be forensic scientist or like a crime scene tech you know stuff like that so I went in and we started the process and I joined the army no one knew that I joined the army and at the time my recruiting station had this thing called Future Soldier Training. And you go to Future Soldier Training. And it gives you the opportunity to go into basic training um, either as a PV2 or a PFC. And so I would go to Future Soldier Training to try to go in as one of those ranks. Well... Again, at the time, I was living on my own, so it was kind of easy. I would just go and do it. But then it got difficult because my stepdad moved back to Florida. And so with him moving back to Florida, I moved back home just because it was my senior year and I wanted to be able to enjoy things a little bit without having to go to work all the time. So when it came time for me to go to MEPS, I snuck out of my house at like six o'clock in the morning and I met my recruiter at the recruiting station. We went to the Tampa MEPS. I was there all day long and that was because there was an issue with the original job I had signed up for. So my recruiter's like, we can leave because he's like, I don't feel comfortable if I don't feel comfortable for you to sign a contract if you don't want that job. And for some people, if they know recruiters, that's not something like they're willing to do because they want you to enlist because they need numbers. But he's like, uh, he's like, you're like a sister because I've been trying to recruit you for so long. He's like, I don't want to screw you over. So my station commander ended up coming down to the maps. I got kicked out of the room. Sat in the waiting room. The door shut. I heard a lot of screaming and yelling. And then the door opened. It was like, oh, congratulations. You've got this job. Because I couldn't get the original job that I wanted. But I was like, well, can I do this? Because, you know, I went to school for this. So is there anything in this field? And there was an issue. Because the MEPS person was saying, no, there's not. So with it being all day, of course I went to MEPS on a night that we had a meeting or a church so my stepdad is texting me and we're stuck in traffic and he's like where are you at it's almost time to go to the meeting blah 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 I was like oh I'm in Tampa I went to the international mall to get some jewelry for prom because I allowed I convinced my parents to at least let me go to my senior prom of course so it was very different. It was a lot of rules and whatnot. I had a curfew and everything. But at least I was able to go to prom, which also, most witnesses, I don't know. I actually don't even know one that was allowed to go to their prom. So, he left and that's how I got away with that. Because I, I got home, I think like an hour before... 
he did. Because I got to back to the recruiting station, I went and grabbed something to eat, and then I went home. Luckily, you know, I just played it off as like, yeah, I didn't find anything that I liked there for my prom dress type thing. But he had called me like three times wondering where I was at. So between that and summer or the school year ending, you know, I would blame either work or school for having to go to future soldier training, but no one had an idea because I was already 18 my senior year. So I didn't need my parents to sign off on anything whatsoever. So I realized my one date to leave, my first date was supposed to be in October. And I realized I can't really like keep up the charade of doing all this stuff for much longer because school was my main excuse. And now school's ending and I'm a senior. So it's not like I could say, oh, I'm trying to work on stuff for senior year. Now I'm already graduated. So I wrote a letter. It was a short letter, like straight to the point. And honestly, I don't even think it was a letter. I think I just put, I joined the army. And so I was leaving to go to work one day. And by this time, my mom was back in Florida as well. And I gave her the note. And I just said, don't open this until I leave for work, which I was doing. But as soon as I gave her the note, I was walking right out the door to go to work. And yeah, she didn't listen. All of a sudden I hear, <gasps> and my hand is just on the door handle. And I'm like, if only I walked a little bit faster. And I turn around, she's sobbing, she's crying her eyes out. And she tells me to go to my room. And I'm like, Mom, I'm going to be late for work. I don't care. Go to your room. Then I go to my room and we have this conversation of, do I not feel loved? Am I worried about money? Am I worried about college? Which I wasn't worried about college because I had a scholarship and I had a college fund. So, and I had plans to go to the community college. That wasn't the issue. I wasn't worried about being loved. And... I mean, I didn't really have a worry of money for myself because, like, I would save my money and I was a smart spender. So I wasn't worried about that either. So I told her no. And honestly, to this day, I really just joined the army because I could. I had no motives of, like, oh, free college or, you know, to get me into my dream job. I wasn't thinking about that at all. I was just you know, living on my own, and I was like, yeah, why not? Let's see what it's all about. It seems intriguing, so I did it, and because of that, so after that, you know, I went to work, um, is a big thing. I, my manager was so cool, and I didn't really have to work that night. I called my recruiter, and he met me at Steak and Shake, and I told him everything, because then, my stepdad tried to kick me out of the house and I was like, I don't know if I have a place to stay. My grandpa had already been moved into a home. My other family that was close by, they're all witnesses. So it was a big thing. But luckily, you know, my mom, between my mom and my stepdad, I wasn't getting kicked out. So after that, I actually gained more freedom. Like I didn't have to go to the meetings anymore 
I didn't have to go in service anymore. I was just able to go to and from the house as I pleased and go to work. I would be out till like 4 o'clock in the morning and I would just be hanging out with my friends. And I think partially the thought process behind that was um, maybe if I don't smother her, she'll change her mind. Which it didn't work. It almost did. I almost thought about, well, I almost thought about not joining the army. And, and I pushed my date back to February. So it almost worked. But, but it didn't work in the way of, I'd want to go back to church. But anyway, only my mom, only my parents knew at this point. Well, one day I was at my recruiting station and... I was sitting there and he's like, hey, my wife left her ID here. Do you, you said you were going to the mall. Do you mind bringing it to her? And I was like, no, no problem. What store is she working? And he told me. So I go to the mall and I go into the store. And there's some of my witness friends there. And I'm thinking, all right, cool. They're just shopping in there. And I walk up and I hand her the ID. And I was like, you know, hi, here it is. Bye, see ya. Well, one of the witnesses' brothers actually worked with her and I didn't know he was in the store and he asked that late he ended up asking her like how do you know her and she's like oh that's my husband's new recruit so then my secret got out to like all the chose witnesses basically because that night I was at home and my mom got a phone call and I could hear over I could hear through the conversation and my mom was in the laundry room and she's like, I have a question to ask you. And this is my mom's, like, best friend I called her. And she's like, go ahead. And she's like, did Miranda join the army? And then, you know, my mom started crying again. And so then everyone knew that I joined the army. So things were more awkward than ever. Uh, my mom even made me tell the lady that I did Bible study with that I joined the army. And I remember telling her, and she was crying and we were at a graduation party when I told her and we had like taken a walk on a trail and she just started crying and turned around and like left me by myself. And so I was like, all right, it's, it's time for me to leave the party, I guess. And I left because originally my plan was to just leave for basic training. Like I didn't plan on telling my parents anything until that morning I was leaving to ship out, but I liked going to future soldier training. Um, I liked just being at the recruiting station in general. So I was like, I need to let them know what's up. And so I did that. Um, I ended up moving, not really moving. I went and stayed with my dad for a little bit. And the thing is, is my dad used to be in the army before he met my mom and I had no idea. So it was kind of funny to find out that I actually chose the same job that he did because we never talked about his military time whatsoever. So that was kind of interesting. And, you know, what are the odds of all the odd jobs in the army that I picked the same thing that my dad was? Um, eventually I left for basic. I wanted to quit basic, like, the first three days because I could not understand why it was so hard for people to not just listen and do what they're told because as a private you think 
you have these drill sergeants yelling at you. But, you know, there's a company of 240 of you. So there's 240 privates. So, no, the odds of all of you doing what they want at the same time and executing something flawlessly is like 0% chance. But you don't know that as a private. So all I could think of was I was getting tired of getting smoked for all these people. And it's like, why is it so hard for you guys to be down in formation and PTs at, at 5? At 5 in the morning. I didn't understand it. And I was tired of getting smoked for it. So I straight up told my drill sergeant, like, I want to go home. And he's like, give it a week. It gets better. Gave it a week. It did get better. And I loved it. And then I started understanding. But as a private, you don't realize, like, there actually is no possibility that even if you execute something flawlessly, that they're not going to fuck you up. That's, that's non-existent. Especially in red phase. So... If any of my past trainees are listening and I've had that, it gets better talk with you. That is where I got it from because I went through it from experience. So joined the army. I got stationed in Colorado. So going from Florida to Colorado, I fucking hated my life. I hated the snow and I'm in a job where I'm always outside. So we were always training in the snow. I deployed to Afghanistan, came back from Afghanistan. Uh, me and my husband got married. Uh, we moved to Georgia. I deployed to Jordan. And then I came back. And I had orders to Fort Jackson, South Carolina. Where I was a drill sergeant. And I loved that job. It was a fun job. And I will definitely have stories about that episode later. Um, and now I'm overseas with my husband. So... That's pretty much my life. Um, I'll say one of the biggest things that also impacted me um, is I don't think people realize how serious um, disfellowshipping someone can be. So like my friend Brittany, she actually passed away in 2011. I was actually home on leave. Um, I had just seen her and then... It was like a day, and I was, had plans to see her like in another day or two. Um, her and my other best guy friend that I grew up with, and her best friend, who I had met a few times, they all went out, and they basically got in a drunk driving accident, and Brittany died. So I woke up in the middle of the night to phone calls from my buddy, and he was like, we just got in an accident, we're at the hospital, you know, Brittany's not in good condition. And Brittany ended up passing away. I don't even know. I don't even think it was a week. She was put on life support, basically. But I remember I would go. I had my mom take me to the hospital. And I would go and I would sit there and I'd hang out with her. And sit by her bed or just sit in the waiting room waiting for, you know, news. Because she had moved her finger, you know, and... That's, that's a good sign, you would think. And, you know, here her parents are. They hadn't talked to her regularly. They would check in on her, but as far as keeping regular contact, they wouldn't do that. Because once someone's disfellowshipped, it doesn't matter if they're your family. You're not supposed to talk to them. It doesn't matter if it's your mom, dad, kid, brother, sister, cousin. 
it doesn't matter. You're not supposed to talk to them. So they would keep limited contact, you know, make sure that she was okay, make sure she was still alive. So they showed up. And then there were people from church that also showed up. And that was one of the things that pissed me off because all I could think about was where the fuck were you people the past, like, three years? Like, I... She would call me when she got into a car accident and I'd go and I'd pick her up. She called me. She was in some kind of trouble. I basically called my dad to call my school to get me... Um, released early so I could drive two hours to go get her and bring her home and you know I wrote to her while I was in basic training she wrote to me she was like my main support system in basic training besides my dad and all I could think of was like where the fuck were you people the past few years and don't act like you're here because you care for her I mean you're only here for her parents support you're not here for her and it was one of the most infuriating things to sit in a waiting room and then have these people ask me oh so how's your life going and you know how do you like the army are you sure well you know you could always come back and start studying again and it's like are you fucking serious no I don't want to talk about this in the hospital and no I don't want to come back and then on top of that I still had some witnesses on my social media some of my girlfriends I grew up with and seeing some of them posting like, oh, my best friend is in the hospital and this and that. And I'm like, get the fuck out of here. Like, you weren't around. Where the fuck were you the past three years? You haven't talked to her in three years. You ignore her. You see her at the grocery store and you walk the other way. So that was like one of the biggest biggest like definitely I made the right decision of joining the army and getting the fuck out and I mean that's that's everything in a nutshell and yeah there's way way more stories about my childhood which is really interesting but I mean that's basically how I came from that to where I'm at now currently in the army um and I wouldn't change it for a bit because if it wasn't for the army I wouldn't have met a lot of people I wouldn't have met my husband and I wouldn't have therefore you know had my stepdaughter so I wouldn't have been to different places I probably would still be in Florida so you know I'm thankful for I guess my recruiter not giving up and I'm also thankful for honestly having the common sense that I did and not being interested in things and not giving in to the peer pressure of the other girls in the church because I mean I could still be on this path but I could also be on the path of being disfellowshipped because right now it's kind of like a loophole my family can still talk to me it's, it's I'm not shunned which is you know, a good thing, but unfortunately a lot of other ex-shows witnesses, they don't have, um, they don't have that luxury. They're disfellowshipped. I remember the first time I, I actually learned about disfellowshipping, it was a lady that, you know, my parents were good friends with, and, you know, as a kid, you get attached to, like, your parents' friends, like, adults and stuff that are really nice to you and everything, and she was a hairdresser, and she was really, nice and cool and we were always going over to her husband's house 
and eating dinner with them and stuff. And I remember, I guess she got this fellowship and I can't remember if we were there for it or not. But all I remember was I had seen her at the meeting and I went up to go hug her. And I think it was like seven years old when this happened, maybe eight. And she basically pushed me away and, and walked away and I didn't understand it. I didn't know what was going on. And that's when my mom, you know, taught me about disfellowshipping and she did something bad. So we can't talk to her until she's, she says she's sorry and the elders tell us we can. Basically summing it up for a child. And I remember after that, things just didn't sit right. Especially because I never understood that. And I still never understand how people can do that to their family members. So, I'm not knocking religion. If people are religious, that's great for you. Personally, through my experiences, I have no interest in it. Um, I like having my free time. I like not having to go out and knock on doors Saturday morning. I like not having to wear dresses four times a week. Um, I like not having to go to conventions or assemblies and those things are a few days and they're all day long that Jehovah's Witnesses go to. Conventions are like three days long and it's eight hours each, eight to nine hours each day and then you get an hour lunch break in the middle and you just sit there and they just talk about religious stuff all fucking day with thousands of people. And I used to get up and I would just go, and they would have these in like stadiums. And I would just go walk around in circles to get out of my seat because I was so fucking bored. Or to try and socialize if I saw someone up that I knew walking around also. It is ridiculous. So, that's basically my journey in a nutshell from past to present. And... I'll definitely be having, me and Adrian will definitely be doing more episodes about our individual lives. Um, but this is just an advanced timeline. And I, I really mean advanced, even though this has gone on kind of long. But yeah, that's, that's me. That's how I went from sheltered to not and I joined the army in secret. Or I tried to, and then I gave up my secret, I guess. But I signed my contract in secret, so, yep, that's me. All right, everyone. Well, uh, now you've heard it. That's how I was raised, and that's how I've gotten to be where I'm at today. Well, yeah, it's, it's, oh, it's interesting. Um, there's a lot of similarities in the sense of like being the odd one or feeling like you're the odd one at the kingdom hall and kind of being left out of things. Um, I would say mine was the opposite in the fact that I was totally ingrained and indoctrinated, indoctrinated into this ideology, but I would ask questions about things to make sense. And at next week, when we talk about me a little bit, I'll go into more detail about it, but I do remember you growing up and you're just your cute little Miranda self and coming and I'm still looking for the picture but there's a cute picture because you didn't get a lot of sweets at home. You sitting on the ottoman next to my dad's chair, Papa Mac, and um, you begging him for ice cream. It was, it's the sweetest thing. So 
just saying. Yeah, I remember that story. But yeah, it's kind of crazy that we're so opposite. Like I was against things like basically from the beginning and I was born in. So it's not like I really knew anything different versus you not being born in and going all in with knowing other things. Well, yeah. And I, um, it's, it's interesting to think about how I think I'm, I'm always searching for something and being young and impressionable and being told this is it kind of had a big impact on it. And I, th- I would say now I'm a little more, I think I'm more fascinated with religions. Um, I like studying them. I like knowing the ins and outs. I like going to temples and mosques and learning and it's a different aspect. I don't feel guilty about doing that anymore. At first I did, but that's another story. That's next week's yeah. story. So yeah, yeah, next week we'll be talking um, about my story about how I came to be me. And it should be just as interesting as Miranda, hopefully. Um, and we'll see how we can record that. But I'm going to let you go, Miranda. I know you're, you're six hours ahead of me. So I love you. All right. Love you too. And bye everyone. Thank you for tuning in to our podcast. Yes. Thank you. Bye. Bye.